the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. Commandment number two, he specifically says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And what commandment number one and commandment number two address is the potential for there to be idols of the hand, meaning idols that we actually carve and make and bow down to, and idols of the heart that we don't necessarily carve, but we have affections and devotion in our hearts and lives that are exalted above God's position and place in our lives. Does something or someone have priority in your life above God? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he warns you about having idols. An idol is anything that takes the top place of worship in your life. This could be a career, a person, or a material possession. God desires for you to worship Him alone. One of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before Him, and to have an idol is to have another god in your life. Pastor Gary encourages you to surrender any idols you have to the Lord. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 10, as he begins his message... A prayer for idle hearts. We're here in Jeremiah chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and then we're going to jump to the end of the chapter and read a couple of verses there as well. Jeremiah chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Hear what the Lord says to you, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails, so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, O Lord. Now Jeremiah speaks. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not revere you, O king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsmen and goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers." But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. 
Now jump down to verse 23. And in most of your Bibles, you'll notice that between uh, verse 22 and 23, there's a break and there's a subtitle. And in my Bible, the subtitle there, just above verse 23, says Jeremiah's prayer. And this is his prayer. I just want to read verses 23 and 24. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. Correct me, Lord, but only with justice, not in your anger, lest you reduce me to nothing. If you know your Bibles very well, uh, you will be familiar with the fact, or if you don't know your Bibles very well, uh, you will learn today that Israel was constantly plagued with a a long-standing problem in their history, and and that was idolatry. The, The making with their hands, the crafting with tools, wooden and metal objects that they worshiped instead of the living God. The first time that we see the problem of idolatry in the nation of Israel is all the way back in Exodus 32. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to summarize the events of Exodus 32. Uh, It hadn't been very long that the Hebrew people had been set free by the mighty hand of God after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they had barely made their way into the Sinai Peninsula had barely experienced their freedom now on their way to the promised land, back to Israel, the land promised on oath to their forefathers. And God was directing them, providing for them, miraculously delivering them. And we find in Exodus 32 that they're encamped at the base of Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula between Egypt and Israel. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the commandments from the Lord. In addition, statutes and laws, but What we're most familiar with is this is the moment when he receives the the Ten Commandments. So he goes up on Mount Sinai, and the Bible says that he's 40 days and he's 40 nights up meeting with the Lord on Mount Sinai. Meanwhile, people down at camp at the base of Mount Sinai, they, they grow restless. They wonder where Moses is, what's taking him so long. They begin to panic. And so in their panic, they turn to Moses' brother Aaron, and they suggest to Aaron that he make them some gods that they can worship. See, the human heart has been wired from uh, the time we were created, having been created in the image and likeness of God, to worship. So we're hardwired to worship, to ascribe worth and value and honor to the Lord. That's the way we're designed. And so the heart needs to worship. But the problem is, if we don't direct it Godward, we will direct it in other ways, in other sinful ways, and deny God the glory that he is rightfully due. And that's what happens here. The Hebrew people become restless. They turn to Aaron. They say, why don't you fashion us some gods? We need to worship. We got the shakes. You know, we need to, we need to start to worship something. And, and so what do you think we should do? And apparently, Aaron thinks this is a brilliant idea. The, the brother of Moses here, left in charge while Moses is up in the mountain. Good job, Aaron. And so Aaron says, well, why don't you take off all your earrings? Gather up all the earrings that everybody's wearing, all your gold earrings. I'll throw them in a big pot. We'll melt it. And then I'll fashion a couple of gods for you. How does that sound? All the people are excited. This is great. Well, it's, it's not a great thing, but they think it's great. And so this is what they do. And let me read you just two verses from Exodus 32. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. You don't need to turn. This is just what it says. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron, 
And he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Now, he actually makes two of them, we find out later, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, the people collectively say, these are your gods, the calf gods made out of gold. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, I mean, seriously, really? I mean, you haven't been that far out of Egypt and you've already forgotten the God who, who delivered you? I mean, do you think it was Mu God who moved the heart of Pharaoh to let you go? Was it Mu God who parted the Red Sea? Was it Mu God who provided for you in the wilderness up to this point? Really? I mean, come on, that is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> Just a little pun for your Sunday morning, friends. Come on, there's so many puns in this story, I could milk it all day long. Let's... I know some of you are having a cow, so let me just move on. All right, so anyway, but you might wonder, where did they get the idea of calves? Why golden calves? Why a cow should they worship here? The answer is because of the influence of the culture they had just left. The bull god, the bull was the most sacred animal among the Egyptians. And they worshipped the bull god Apis, A-P-I-S, more than any other animal in Egypt. And so, when the heart is inclined to worship and it doesn't move Godward, it moves laterally, and often we begin to worship the things that our culture is influencing us to worship. And that's what happens. They adapt the golden calves, because that's what they saw in Egypt. And since that's what they saw in Egypt, I guess that's what we're going to do when we don't worship the true and living God. Man's innate need to worship, that is, to ascribe worth or value or honor to something larger than oneself, combined with the influence of the culture around us, leads to idolatry. Now, the same is true here in Jeremiah chapter 10. It starts out in verse 2 by reminding us here in verse 2, if you look again at your Bibles in in Jeremiah 10, 2, do not learn the ways of the nations. That's God's warning to his people. They have adapted the ways of the nations around them. And in Jeremiah chapter 10, and the the culture of Jeremiah's day is that the the Jewish people have forsaken the true and living God and and instead have started to worship the gods of the neighboring nations, principally two gods, Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and Baal, the god of the Canaanites. Now, we're going to find later in the book of Jeremiah some of the heinous, wicked acts involved in the worship of Molech and Baal And that's for another study when we get uh, later uh, down the road in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, But these are the principal gods that have influenced the minds and the hearts of the Jewish people, Molech and Baal. And so they begin to carve images and they begin to make statues to worship instead of the true and living God. And chapter 10 here describes the length to which the Jewish people will go fashioning these wooden idols. If you look at your Bibles again at verses 3 and 4. In verse 3 it says, For the customs of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with hammer and nails, so it will not totter. 
And so they're making these idols. And Jeremiah gives us some background here about the lengths that they go to to fashion these various idols. Now, just a little side note. I'm just going to depart from the main theme of our study for just a moment because I, I feel like I need to address these particular verses because every once in a while, somebody will come to me over the years and say, doesn't the Bible prohibit Christmas trees? Uh, because they'll look at these verses here, like verse 3, which talks about cutting a tree out of the forest, and verse 4 talks about adorning it with silver and gold, and some will say, and some have said to me, you know, Pastor G, there's a, there's a passage in the Bible that tells us why Christmas trees are pagan, evil, idolatrous stuff. We shouldn't have them in our houses around the time of the celebration of the birth of Christ. Okay, so I just need to address this as a side note since we're here in these, in these verses. Uh, listen, This passage has nothing to do with Christmas trees. Please note that it tells us in verse 3, a craftsman chisels it, okay, uses a chisel and fashions it with a tool. In other words, they cut a tree down, they debranch it, and then they take a chisel and they fashion it giving it the appearance of a, of a person, an idol, a God that they want to worship. So they chisel in eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, mouths that cannot speak, and this becomes their idol. Then they overlay it with silver and gold to make it really shiny and beautiful. It's basically a totem pole wrapped in silver. That's what it is. This, this is not a Christmas tree. This looks nothing like a Christmas tree because it isn't one. So don't get your garland all in a knot, Okay. <laughs> This has nothing to do with Christmas. By the way, the Bible says in Isaiah 60, verse 13, the pine, the fir, and the cypress adorn my sanctuary, says the Lord. Okay, God created evergreen trees. They aren't to be worshipped, but they certainly aren't to be looked at in every instance as some kind of an idol. By the way, also, historically speaking, the first evergreen tree was pulled into a house by Martin Luther. Because he wanted to celebrate Christ's birth by remembering his everlasting life and everlasting love represented in an evergreen tree. So Martin Luther started the tradition in Germany, pulling in a tree around Christmas time, celebrating the birth of Christ, adorning it with lights because Jesus is the light of the world. It was all a reminder, just symbolically speaking, about the everlasting life through Christ and the everlasting love of Christ in an evergreen tree and the lights being the light of the world. And then the... Pennsylvania, it came over to America because Pennsylvania Germans, by the way, the same group that settled Lovettsville, in the 1820s, they they carried over the tradition in the United States, and thus, you know, we've picked it up as well, but there's nothing evil or idolatrous about it. It just is symbolic to remember the everlasting life through Christ and the everlasting love of Christ. By the way, green and red, the colors of Christmas, symbolic of green, the everlasting life, red, the blood of Christ. Do your homework. Even the candy cane was invented as a reminder, the white, the purity of Christ, wrapped in the red ribbons, the blood of Christ. It's all symbolic to remind us and focus us on who Christ is. So this has nothing to do with the Christmas tree, with all due respect. And if you have that conviction, you don't need to have a Christmas tree in your house. Bring it to mine. We'll add up extra ones. (laughs) Now that said, if you are cutting down a Christmas tree and hauling it into your house and adorning it and then bowing down and worshiping it, well, then that's a problem. That's idolatry. So don't do that. But otherwise, enjoy Christmas and celebrate it with traditions. All right, back to our story. When we read this story here and how they chisel out a tree and fashion it and adorn it and 
make it their gods, it's not only tragic and sad, but we tend to think of this as very primitive, don't we? This is a primitive, very you know, ignorant people who would fashion a, go- a, a god with a tool a, a, and a god that can help them, that can't save them, that can't provide for them, that can do nothing for them, and they're going to worship that instead of the true and living God who saves them, delivers them, provides for them, forgives them, helps them, and everything else. And so to, to us, it's, this seems very primitive, very foolish, and it is. And Jeremiah would agree in verse 14 of our chapter. In verse 14, he says, everyone is senseless and without knowledge. I mean, this is a senseless thing. He says, every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. They have no breath in them. And so it's easy for us to read this and to think, wow, how primitive and how foolish and, 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 how, and how senseless of these people. And, and then to think that we're all smarter than they. And, and to think that, you know, we'd never do this kind of a thing and we'd never carve an image and bow down to it. With all due respect, by the way, to some other world religions, I had somebody come up to me a few weeks ago and talk about how their parents are still uh, very much involved in Hinduism. In Hinduism, people are still bowing down to idols. There are still religions in our world where people are bowing down to images and carved idols and these kinds of things. But, but for us, you know, in our Western mindset, it's easy to look at these stories in the Bible and think, you know, we, we're smarter than they. We would, we would never bow down to an inanimate object that can't help us. But the truth be told, you don't have to carve something, pray to it, or bow down to it for something to be an idol. An idol can be a person. Billy, for example. That's from the 80s. So the rest of you would have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Billy Idol, by the way, got his U.S. citizenship last week. So anyway, look it up. You'll get a kick out of it later. But anyhow... But seriously, an idol can be a person, an idol can be a thing, an idol can be a possession, an idol can be a habit, it can be an ambition. Idols come in various forms and types. Anything that compromises our devotion to the Lord has the potential of being an idol. Anything that competes with our affection for the Lord has the potential of being an idol. Beware of what you serve more than God. It has the potential of being an idol. Idolatry, in its simplest definition, is basically misplaced worth. Idolatry is misplaced worth. Again, we were all created in the image and likeness of God to have fellowship and relationship with him. And thus, when we worship him with our lips and we worship him with our lives, we are ascribing unto God worth and value and honor that only he is due. But when sin enters the equation, our sinful hearts then begin to turn our affection away from the Lord and onto other things and other people and other practices. And that becomes idolatry. So that whenever we ascribe worth or value or honor or serve other things besides God, then those things become idols. Now, God knew this propensity of the human heart to be idolatrous. That's why he gives us the first two of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Commandment number two, he specifically says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And what commandment number one and commandment number two address is the potential for there to be idols of the hand, meaning idols that we actually carve and make and bow down to, and idols of the heart that we don't necessarily carve, but we have affections and devotion in our hearts and lives that are exalted above God's position and place in our lives. Now, even in the New Testament, this is not Old Testament only, even in the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John the Apostle writes to his children, he says, Dear children, abstain from idols. Now, remember, John was writing 1 John 5, 21. He's writing in the first century. So Roman Empire was steeped in idolatry. So the people reading John's letter in 1 John 5 would have clearly understood, that's right, we've got to keep ourselves from idols, Roman Empire, Roman paganism, polytheism, statues everywhere. We've got to be careful to worship the only true God and not these idols around us. So they would have been keenly aware of the idols around them because they were more visible, more tangible. But friends, listen, there are idols still all around us. They're just much more sleek now. The designs and, and the edgy logos have now kind of lured us into idolatry. It's just all a lot more nicely designed these days. So we're going to have a little fun. I'm just going to kind of talk about some of these sleek little logos that maybe have become idols in your lives. You ready? Everybody ready? We're going to have a good time. Here's the first one. First one. Okay. Ever, ever kind of idolized a, a lady, a green mermaid? Some overrated, overpriced cup of coffee? Is that your God? Is King Street Coffee become your king, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, you know, we can make anything an idol. How about this? Maybe food is your idol. Food can become an idol. McDonald's, when they first started... The, the only size Coke you could get was five ounces. That's every cup at McDonald's first was only five ounces. Then, you know, lately they went up to 42 ounces. 42 ounces. Now, with all due respect to McDonald's, they decided, you know, 42 ounces, that's way too much. We're contributing to obesity in America, so we're going we're gonna to drop it down to 32 ounces. So you, 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 can, you can't supersize everything like you once could, but you can still get a large 32-ounce soft drink. Friends, that's still a fourth of a gallon when you think about it. And, but it sounds better to say 32 ounces, a large. It sounds better to say a large than to say, can I have a Big Mac French fries and a fourth of a gallon of Coke to go, please? <laughs> but that's what we're doing. Or maybe, maybe retail therapy is your God and this is your idol. It's just retail therapy, Pastor G. No, it's idolatry. It's the temple of Target. Perhaps Ben Franklin is your idol. Money, materialism is your God. Or how about this popular idol today, technology. Social media has stolen a lot of your time and devotion and money, right? Technology can be an idol. And look, and look at the logo too. It's an apple with a bite taken out of it. Any coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, yeah, this is my idol. Yeah, my Ram truck. Yeah. My Ram truck, give me a 5.7 liter Hemi with a V8 engine. It's my idol. Maybe it's 
the Nike logo because sports has become your idol? Or maybe, could denim be your true religion? <laughs> Is shop till you drop more of a reality than a punchline? Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Jeremiah. Known as the Weeping Prophet, he was only 20 years old when he began his prophetic life. Though not specifically mentioned, it is believed he would have followed the life of a pastor. And because of his young age, he was not always well received. No doubt this influenced his writings. And because of their heavy and often negative tone, he earned his title as the Weeping Prophet. However, this did not stop him, and he went on to prophesy the many truths that the people of Jerusalem needed to hear. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to The Weeping Prophet, Jeremiah, today on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.